We were reinvesting every dollar we were making in our real estate and some of our savings back into the business to accelerate our growth. And that allowed us to scale quickly. And you have to be cognizant of, you know, you can, you can scale upwards quickly, you can also scale backwards quickly, depending on how you're underwriting your property. You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Azria Show. I am your host, Marcus Maloney, and today we have another excellent episode for you all to engage in and listen to. So we have none other than our executive director, Mike Delpreet here also. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you, when, yeah, whenever you are listening to this podcast. <laughs> So today uh, we want to dive in. We want to teach. We want to discuss something that um, I think will drive home a lot towards a lot of you all that are either just getting started or if you're doing large multifamily. There's something in here for everyone. So we have Whitney Elkin Hutton on today, and she is the executive. I'm sorry, she's the director of investor education at Passive Income. PassiveInvesting.com, co-author of the international number one bestseller, Resilient Women in Life and Business. She's the host of the Passive Investing Made Simple and Multifamily Investor Nation YouTube show and podcast. She is the partner of over with over 800 million in passive income in real estate, including 6,500 residential units, seven express car washes. She has flipped over 500 million in residential real estate and have over 2,200 <laughs> self-storage units. So this is why I say that we can go from just getting started all the way to multifamily, to commercial investing. So we have a lot for you on today. So Whitney, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You got, you just uh, gave me a, a couple of zeros there on my flipping stats. So it's 5 million <laughs> in real estate. 5 million. What did I say? Five, 500 million. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah and then we have 2,200 self-storage. So, um, but anyways, I'm, we're doing fantastic. The sun is shining. Um, it's great. <laughs> great, great, great. So tell me, how did you go from, because your background, actually, you wasn't in real estate, you just kind of fell into this, correct? Yeah, my background's in public health. I, um, you know, when I fell into real estate, literally, I was working as a facilitation and training Um. Well, it's a facilitator, a type of facil facilitator for the CDC. I was working in bioterrorism. So this is like post 9-11. Wow. I was training okay. doctors and nurses how to identify anthrax and smallpox um, cases, you know, uh, how to train them how to handle biological, radiological and chemical events. Um, you know, everything was on the table back then. Right. So um, had me traveling about 80 hours a week, but I had also during this time, um, was able to qualify for a loan and bought a house with a significant other in that relationship about a month later fell apart. And I had this house, Okay. didn't know what to do. So I stopped it fully roommates, um, completed the rehab <laughs> myself, 
which guys in 2002, YouTube didn't exist. Right, right. <laughs> I had to go get one of those crazy things called a book and teach myself how to do a lot of stuff. Um, anyways, you know, flipped the house 11 months later, I panicked. I sold the property. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. And then when I sold it, I was like, holy smokes, I made more money in 11 months doing that than I did at my day job. And I'm like, yep. how many more of these projects could I possibly do? And so um, we were talking before the show, I'm I'm the type of person that's a ready fire aim sometimes. And so um, th that's kind of the path I took for several years before I really you know, landed with me. Oh, if you want true financial freedom, you need to create cash flow. Yep. You need to hold on to some of these properties and get other people to pay cash flow above and beyond your expenses. <laughs> I'm so like, true. ah, nuts. <laughs> that took me 10 years to figure out. So anyways, but you know, my husband and I, we built up a portfolio of single family property, still flipping. Okay. So <laughs> wait, wait, before we, before we go there with me, so you had, you, you were in a relationship, relationship went south, you had this property and the first thing you said, you said you stocked it full of roommates, right? So you were house hacking back in 2002, basically. I was house hacking before it was like in vogue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, all these strategies, all these like cool terms that we have for the, for these strategies these days. I mean, they've been around for ages, like a lot, mm -hmm. millennia even. We just have some really cool strategies, you know, marketing, if you yeah. will. You know, I when, I when I closed on that property, when I sold it, I was enamored by the check that I got at the closing table. I'm like, awesome. But then when I started calculating my taxes, right, because I had to pay a little bit of capital gains because I held the property less than 12 or 24 months, even though I had to move I and mean, we can go through all of the whole 121 mm -hmm. exclusion um, tax, you know, loop, not loophole, but tax law there. But I'm calculating everything out. I'm like, wait a second. My roommates actually were paying principal interest taxes and insurance for me and utilities. I've been living for free for 11 months. Yep. I'm like, oh, I need to do this again. Um, mm -hmm. Also, I had borrowed, this was back in the wild, wild west of lending. I was 103 financed, 103 wow. financed. Okay. I had borrowed money from a family member, actually. Who so over leveraged, <laughs> over leveraged. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on real quick is. <laughs> <laughs> over leveraged and didn't know it it was yeah <laughs> it was blissful <laughs> ignorance <laughs> you, but you turned a problem into profit and mm -hmm. a lot of times as real estate investors that's what we have to do we have to identify the problem and turn that problem into a profit and that's exactly what you did so kudos to you for saying okay you know what this this is a problem i gotta turn this around and see what i need to do in order to uh let this be a benefit for me Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you was over leveraged. You got this property. You was living free for 11 months. Right. And then, aha, something happened. What happened? Uh, well, I mean, I had already bought my second property because I thought mm -hmm. I was cool. Like I got this little real estate thing figured out. So I, I bought mm -hmm. my dream mountain home, little, little cabinet. I mean, it wasn't like anything frilly or anything like that little cabin up in Estes park. Uh, but I had violated every immutable law of real estate, bad location, wrong timing of the market. Like, you know, didn't understand who, if I decided to rent it out, had no idea who would rent it out. Um, and, and then I got stuck. I got stuck in that property for about two years, you know, mm, okay. I lost my job about a year later. So 
um, you know, here I am trying to sell it. And I, somebody gives me a Hail Mary deal like three days into it being listed. And I said, no, I can get more money for this. And I got the same deal 12 months later. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of things went right on that deal. And a lot of things went really wrong on that deal. But at the end of the day, um, even though I wasn't able to cash flow it, um, you know, I still had a nice equity bump and I still was getting tax benefits on that deal. And so I, uh, I realized even, you know, even if I could understand and really truly learn the fundamentals of real estate, you know, location, 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 how to use debt wisely, um, you know, making sure I'm investing according to like the seven actual seven wealth principles, wealth pillars that, you know, made millionaires and billionaires of many people in real estate. Mm -hmm. If I can learn those things, like I'm going to be setting myself up for true generational wealth, not just you know, kind of a haphazard strategy, like, will I make money or not? Which is unfortunately what a lot of people do is, um, you know, my story is not, you know, that unheard of people just kind of feel, stumbling their way into real estate and then trying to kind of learn on the fly. And yeah. sometimes they get into a raw deal and then realize afterwards, all the things that they did wrong, but they're scared to get into their next deal. And, and that's one of, that's one of the problems that, that, some investors face is that dichotomy between trying to learn everything, trying to figure everything out before they take that next step. And the ones that, like you said, ready, fire, aim, and then get in over their heads and then they're scared to do their second deal. But you decided, you said, you know what? I didn't know. I jumped into it. I was ready, fire, aim. You got stuck with this property. Why didn't you stop? Why didn't, why wasn't that the end of your real estate career? Why did you proceed further? I just fundamentally knew in my heart, um, two things. One that, um, you know, somebody somewhere successfully clues somewhere, somebody somewhere has this all figured out. I just need to tap into that knowledge base and build upon it right? I need to go copy this. You know, I don't have to go back to school and, you know, get a degree in real estate, like, you know, mm -hmm. regular landlords do this every single day. And I'm like, I just need to kind of take a breath, study a little bit, get my feet underneath me and then move forward. Um, the other thing is I, I fundamentally knew that, um, you know, even if I was, it's a patient strategy, like if I could just buy property and figure out mm -hmm. how to hang on to it, whether I like actually hit the home run or not on the equity deal or like amazing, made amazing cash flow, that historically, right, past performance doesn't predict future returns, but you know, historically real estate goes up into the yeah. right. So yeah. um, I just needed to be patient. And that's what a lot of people don't do, is that you know, they're not patient. They don't understand that this is a long game. Um, most of the time. I mean, unfortunately in the past three or four years, you know, everybody thinks that's what real estate should be all the time. Like 20% right. year over year appreciation, you know, 30% rent increases. That's just not the, not the case. So what can you share with somebody? Cause you know, I'm a slow learner as well. Like those, like you said, 10 years later, you had the aha, right. So I, I, that's my life as well. So, um, but it took a while, especially Marcus and I, we started off the business in wholesaling. So it was, you're, you're around that quick money idea, lump sums of cash all the time. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, once I accidentally bought some rentals and then five years later, you're like, wow, I could tap into equity and reinvest it. Like, what do you say to someone 
that's impatient. They're trying to quit their job and they're excited and they just want it to happen. And, and, you know, you need that time for it to really hit and sink in. Like, what do you say? Someone, I know you're saying be patient, but what else can we say? Well, so how I coach people though, is, you know, really helping them understand their goals and to get at that goal, you have to ask yourself three fundamental questions. Like, what do you want? Why do you want it? And who do you have to become to get it? So okay. what is it so that what you, want, you want, right? What do you want? What do you want? Okay. Yep. What do you want? And, and I'll go a little bit deeper here, just briefly, if you'll entertain me, is mm-hmm. that gets at the pain, right? The pain. And, and for people who are impatient, there's probably some sort of pain that's thorn their side, right? They can't pay off the bills. They can't take the family on vacation. They're stuck in a cubicle. Their boss has them traveling 40, 80 hours a week. Okay. That pain will keep them motivated more so than what, why do they want something? Because we as human beings, are, our brain works us to, you know, works for us to get us out of pain, right? Mm-hmm. It does not work for us very well to get us into pleasure. <laughs> so, right, right. <laughs> okay, anyway, as far as the motivator, right? So what do you want? You have to understand like, what do you want? But you have, but so that's the pain, that's the thorn in the side usually for most people. But why do you want it? That's gonna get, it. we can't just be, can't just ask the question one time. You have to sit there and like peel back the layers of the onion. And generally somebody's going to arrive at one of five freedoms that they want. They either want financial freedom, time freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of location, or freedom of um, to create, go out in the world and create the impact that they will feel like their purpose, what they were meant to do. And it's the combination of those two. That's what's going to keep people moving forward. Now, when you ask me, like, what do you say to somebody who's impatient? Okay. And they generally, that person probably will get themselves in a wrong tactic because they're operating solely off of what they want and they not building the business to get them their why in life. Right. So the why is kind of like the North star. So example, somebody comes to me and says, I want time freedom. Fantastic. Don't be a wholesaler. Don't go flipping houses. Now that might be a tactic to get you started, but you have to figure out how to take that income, right? That fast money mm-hmm. and put it into the longer projects, take some of those chips off the table over time to where time can work for you in those longer projects, be it your own single family rentals, larger multifamily deals, somebody else's private equity deal. Um, it's not that the fast money is bad, but that's just kind of surface level. You gotta dig deeper and understand that why. True. Then the third question is, who do you have to become to get it? What mindset do you need? What skills do you need? What network do you need to have? And that's where you start getting tactical. Excellent. Um, so it makes me think, uh, who, what do you want? Why do you want it? Because you know what, um, especially coming through, when you see a lot of new people, which I'm sure you experience, um, it's always like, hey, what do you want? They're like, okay, I want to be, I want freedom and I want to be, I want passive income. Okay, cool. So why are you here in this class or whatever we're doing? They're like, well, I want to wholesale first. So I'm going to make a bunch of quick money. Then I'm going to take that quick money. I'm going to start flipping and I'm make bigger money. And then I'm going to buy my first rental. And I'm just always like, by the time you go through all that, you're probably going to crash and burn like 15 times and probably give up on real estate and think it's not worth it when you could just buy your rental property next month, you know, in some way, right? So I could see like, why do you want to, they have that pain? Like they got to pay the bills today. So they think they have to 
start by wholesaling because when you think rental property, that's not going to pay your bills, pay your debt right. off today. You know, so I could see people in that path. I don't know. <laughs> this <is> observation. <laughs> no, definitely. And, and you Love. know, that quick money can be addictive, right? Oh, Just yeah. Like every other, you know, vice mm-hmm. out there. And, and it's the discipline, right? Like, you know, even if you're investing in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, which by the way, I don't do anymore, but you know, it's all about time in the game, not timing the game. And, you know, those quick money tactics, you have to be really good at timing things um, yeah. in order to really like, um, you know, really take advantage of them. So, I mean, I talk a lot of times to realtors who are, you know, in feast or famine mode right now, and a lot of realtors are struggling. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. so what did you do for the last past three years to take some of your chips off the table and create passive income for yourself? I mean, you have access to the deals and don't have to be a commission. Right? <laughs> right. Did you take advantage that of that? Right. Like, did you take advantage of some of the pocket deals that you had available to you? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's not, the, the three questions that I pose are simple. I didn't say it was easy. Excellent. So who do you have to become? Like, so now look, because I'm not at you are like, so someone's that's impatient right now listening and who, who do they have to become? Well, that's the, that's the internal question, right? If yeah. they're sitting here wholesaling, right. And they're just like, I, I got a wholesale to make bigger money to go flip, but I, my why is I want my time back, right? That long-term, you know, financial independence, freedom, time freedom. You know, who do they mentally have to become, you know, with their mindset, with their skills to achieve their why, right? Like, do they need to learn how get a better relationship with money under, you know, get a better mindset that it's not all about fast cash, but it, it is about, you know, steady, long investing. Do they need to, you know, uh, do that is all they know wholesaling. Do they not understand, you know, how to buy long-term rentals mm-hmm. you know, appropriately or invest in somebody else's deals like private equity to where they can actually leverage somebody else's time. You know, those are the type of skills that, you know, they need to kind of like just lay out. Now it's naming the skills and then there's actually acquiring the skill. I'm just asking people to name those skills because, you know, then we get into the real fun stuff that I like working with people on. It's like, do you need to learn the skill or can you bring somebody into your world right, right. that has the skill, right? And this gets really, you know, for people who own businesses that are just like, I would love to have real estate. I would love to have my own multifamily building, but I just don't have time. Mm-hmm. So let's, you have so, time to go find somebody like, right. in your world, you know? So let's do this real quick. Everybody that's listening, I mean, we got some really, really good information that's already being released to us. Let's take a brief break, hear a word from our sponsors. And then when we come back, Whitney, we want to talk about how you leveraged your equity and start doing something and changing your life and getting out of that rat race of flipping and having single family rentals and then started investing passively. So let's have a brief break and we'll be right back. Attention all female investors. As Rhea is excited to announce, our good friends are coming to town. Don't miss out on the InvestorCon event in Scottsdale, Arizona on May 18th and 19th. Join us for two days of networking, workshops, and keynote speeches from successful female investors. Attend InvestorCon and make valuable connections and gain the confidence you need to take your investing to the next level. Don't wait. 
Click on the link in the show notes and get more details and the best pricing for InvestorCon in Scottsdale, Arizona on May 18th and 19th, or visit azria.org backslash calendar to secure your spot. We can't wait to see you there. All right, guys, we are back with Whitney and we were talking about mindset and things of that nature before, but now we want to talk about how she was buying these single family rentals and then converted them into more passive investments. So Whitney, tell us how you started buying all of these single families. We know how you started with the one or two and things like that, but how did you start scaling up? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we have, you know, we've had several inflections when I say we, my husband and I like on our investing journey. And, you know, we hit a ceiling of achievement. We were flipping and living, flipping and house hacking. We're like, you know, we cash flow. And one of our friends said, well, why don't you keep one of the rentals and put a tenant in it? And we're like, genius. Mm -hmm. We used to be renters ourselves. And, you know, we house hack, we rent to other people. Like, why didn't we think of this? Right. It was one of those, like, you know, Uh (laughs) (laughs) over the face moments. You're like, oh, is it really that simple? So, um, so we started off buying the house in our own backyard here in Colorado and put a tenant in it. And I, we were just, we didn't, we hadn't heard of bigger pockets community. I didn't even know how to calculate cash flow. And this is funny guys. I'm an epidemiologist by training, which means I'm good with numbers. And I mm-hmm. had no idea what the, how to calculate cash flow. Like if you want me to run a regression analysis, I can do that. <laughs> cash flow, no idea. <laughs> So anyways, I have no idea what that, what you just said you were. <laughs> <laughs> I studied disease movement. So most people were okay. armchair <laughs> epidemiologists during COVID, right? So, um, All right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so we bought this property, put a tenant in it. We're like, okay, we're bringing home positive cash flow every month. And then somebody was like, did you take into account sitting inside reserves and CapEx and maintenance? And all of us were like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did we have? So then, you know, my eyes got open. I was like, all right, okay. This thing doesn't actually cash flow, but you know, we, we knew we had a slam dunk property and if we needed to exit in a year or two, we could, you know, barring some market disaster. So we then started, you know, under trying to understand what markets we were familiar with out of state. So we went to Indianapolis and Kansas city. And so um, we started picking up some single family property. We initially started as with turnkey because I, you know, didn't know how to mm-hmm. put together a construction budget. I didn't, I d- didn't know how to vet a property manager. You know, I could vet a realtor. That's about the only skills that I thought I had. And anyways, started building out our team that way. And then eventually, you know, we picked up 10 properties through with a turnkey provider, two different turnkey okay. providers. And then we went to one of them, you know, we could see we were going to be exhausting our capital because right, we couldn't pull our capital back out. The properties hadn't appreciated enough after a year or two gotcha. to be able to extract that capital. And I'm like, okay, can you teach us how to do this birthing where we buy the property, you know, property that needs some love. We rehab the property per tenant in it. So it has a stream of income on it. And now we refinance it pull our capital out. Can you teach us how to do that? Cause you're doing that and you're selling us the properties. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is like now 2017 into 18. And there were a lot, still a lot of distressed properties on the market. I mean, 16 to 17, a lot of still a lot of properties to be picked up of, you know, and we could perform this in, in Indianapolis and Kansas city. 
So now we had a chunk of money that we were continuing to recycle. Every once in a while, we hit the home run and we were able to pull out more capital than we actually put into the property, which is awesome. But recycling the same bucket of cash to pick up another 20 properties and all of them cash flowing at this point in time. And I'm not just talking about cash flowing, they make 50 bucks. I mean, they were earning, you know, 10 to 12% cash on cash uh, and bringing home, you know, two to $300 at least a month after all expenses. Mind you, I now know how to underwrite a property now. Right, right. <laughs> so they, they looked really, they did really well. They didn't just look well on, look good on paper. Um, okay. And then we were, you know, again, we kind of had, I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, um, you know, we had a baby girl during this time. Um, I'm taking care of family members. You know, I'm still working full-time. My husband's working full-time. Our, our time is getting more and more squeezed. And as we added Now we're up to 30 single family properties. We're still flipping about 10 times a year just to to pile on cash. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this we've got two, maybe three full-time jobs between the two of us, right? Maybe four full-time jobs. And I was like, you know, why don't we take advantage of some of this cash flow? We need to start figuring out a way to live our dream, which means we've got to be able to start living off of some of this cash flow. And And that's I'm sorry, Whitney, just wanted to jump in here real quick. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you guys did it the right way because some investors, they'll say, okay, well, I got 20, 30 properties. You know what? I can quit my job now and, or even before then at 10 properties, Hey, I'm gonna quit my job and live off the, off the, off the cash flow. And then they don't have that cash to reinvest uh, into more properties. But you, you and your husband um, decided to stay in you're working your nine to five and use that money to just acquire more properties. Yeah. So we were reinvesting every dollar we were making in our real estate and some of our savings back into the business to accelerate our growth. Um, and, and that allowed us to scale quickly and you have to be cognizant of, you know, you can, you can scale upwards quickly. You can also scale backwards quickly, depending mm-hmm. on how you're underwriting your property. I mean, it cuts both directions. But, you know, to get to the point of how we made that transition, we had the things happening in our life that were forcing us to start stepping into more passive role uh, with some of our property. Um, But, you know, we're sitting here, we're going, we've got 30 single family rentals. Maybe we cut off the flipping or, or is there, can we diversify our portfolio? And I was like, Mm -hmm. I am not going to become an expert in self-storage or, you know, maybe multifamily that makes sense. And so. Um, I, I doubled down on multifamily, but we wanted to get other exposure in the market. And so it just made sense for us to pick up leverage. And we chose to do that. You know, either we hired somebody to help us purchase the property. We got a partner and we were the silent partner, or we learned how to invest with other operators who are currently employing this strategy. And so that's what we decided to do in, in. So it was twofold. Um, one, I became an expert in the multifamily space to continue growing our residential side of the portfolio. But then we started taking chips off the table with the cash flow and the equity we're pulling out of these deals and put starting to diversify our portfolio into self-storage, into express car washes and other deals like private notes and stuff like that as well. So okay. we can, you know, build out kind of our own mini real estate 
estate fund personally, but we don't have to be the experts in everything. We The only skill that we have to get extremely good at is underwriting, vetting the operator, the market and the mm-hmm. deal. So that we have to get really good at vetting. And, and that's real good because like you said, you don't necessarily have to go and learn a new skill. You don't need to go in and learn multifamily or self-storage or how to run a car wash. Just find somebody that's already experienced in doing it. Uh, vet that individual and then invest with that individual or that group. And then now you still have your money still turning and you're diversified across multi-different asset classes versus just single family residences in Kansas City and Indianapolis. Yeah. And now, you know, because we were able to, you know, find really strong operators, one of the operators, you know, I I passiveinvesting.com is one of the reasons why I'm here. I started off as an investor. Um, but you know, now I get, I don't have to become an expert in all of those markets either. Right. I'm, I'm an expert in my core markets where my controlled property is in Colorado, Arkansas, and Kansas city, but I didn't have to become an expert in the Carolinas, Florida, and Texas as well. So you get multiple leverage, you know, when you learn how to invest in other people's deals, but I, you know, our core portfolio is what allowed us to do that. Because we didn't have high paying jobs. I mean, we're not lawyers, doctors, tech workers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, you know, for somebody who has a higher and best use in their day job, you know, maybe you're making 200,000 or 350 jointly with a spousal equi- spouse or spousal equivalent. Maybe your time is better spent focusing on your day job and taking your chips off the table yeah. that way. But for us, we didn't have that. We had to scale, scale up our cash flow a different way. That's a, a big thing we run into here at Esri. A lot of, uh, you know, like when new people come, you have high income earners. They don't have the time to go to the training classes and the workshops and read the books. And, you know, they just got a lot of responsibilities from their, their day job. Um, so I like the fact of leveraging and going out to, the, you know, the car washes or, or investing in other operators. So you mentioned vetting operators. So what are some some, you know, basics of vetting somebody or finding someone to vet or, you know, how do you get into that world and look for the right people? Yeah. So if I may, I can offer up a couple of resources to, to people. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. So, um, you know, I have a free ebook at passive investing with Whitney.com. Um, you can go there, you can download the ebook. I also do a weekly show called passive investing made simple, where I help go through all these questions and, you know, different strategies on how to invest as well. So, you know, getting people oriented to this space, but just to kind of, you know, maybe share just some pearly nuggets right now, you know, first you want to look for, um, you know, and these are your points of leverage, mind you, like somebody who is knowledgeable about the strategy, right? Um, this isn't the time to go, if you're a high, high, high income earner and you have no time to do anything, this isn't, the time to invest with your buddy who's just like, oh man, I read a book on car washes. Let's go invest there. Now you want to find the experts in the space, true experts that are doing this. Not, and then you want to look for their, their track record, right? Like what have they done? Like what have they done in business? What have they done in real estate? What has gone really well? What has not gone well? Okay. Just because somebody has had a deal go sideways doesn't, for me, it's a, it's a flag, but how did they handle that? Right. Then you want to, you know, understand what's their ability to get credit and lending, right? That's very important with these type of deals. What is their ability to, you know, pull investor capital and close on the deal? 
And what, you know, do they have a team behind them? Are they just a one-man show? Are there multiple partners involved? Do they have a team underneath them to help them, you know, search for deals, acquire deals, uh, asset manage the deals? Um, and so there's all levels of scale in there, but, you know, you know, for somebody who's in a high income earning position, you have the luxury and leverage to kind of cherry pick who you work with. So you can cherry pick the best of the best and invest with them. But all that is to serve you to get your time back. Now, here's the thing. I ran down a laundry list of points, hmm. but what I find about high income earners, generally they're in some sort of upper management role. You know, they're a business owner themselves. Maybe they're a solopreneur. Guess what skill they already have? They know how to vet and hire people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these are translatable skills too. So I try to help people understand that if you're in this position, this isn't as scary as one would make you think it is. Well, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. You got to use those resources that you already have in order to, um, you know, pivot into another passive vehicle in order to earn money. So that, I mean, that's, that's very, very great. So Whitney kind of wrapping up here. Um, so how did you get into, let's just, I'm just curious about the car washes. So was yes, there already an, an operator that was doing the car washes or was there an uh, operator that was doing multifamily and decided to pivot into car washes? How did you find that operator for the car washes? Yeah. So, you know, here at PassiveInvesting.com, you know, we um, started building our core portfolio, multifamily real estate. Uh, and then we started off in value um, add real estate. And then, you know, during COVID, we saw, you know, there really was no need to take that risk with the value add risk. So we got into class A assets. We also added in self-storage to, you know, offer our investors, you know, you know, opportunity to diversify their portfolio within one ecosystem. We also have a first position real estate debt fund. Now we could see the writing on our wall, like as Cap rates continue to compress, cash flow continue to compress this during this time on majorly on multifamily, but even in the self-storage space, we could we were keeping our thumb on the pulse of our investors and we knew that they're gonna they're chasing yield. So mm-hmm. what other tangible investment could we make? Could we start bringing on board? that um, was really kind of close to the core, right? Like when you when I talk about a core investment, everybody in the, that lives and breathes needs a roof over their head, right? Multifamily yep. makes sense. But once you get a roof over your head, Americans really love their things. So self-storage makes sense. And guess what? 82% of Americans or there's about own a car, right? So they're gonna take some oftentimes better care of their car than they are their own property. True, true. And so, um, so the, there's certain fundamentals that are in our favor when it comes to bringing on a high cash flow business like an express car wash. Um, but there's a ton of other things. I mean, this is an industry that's ripe for disruption. Um, majority, this, it really resembles self-storage back in 2006, seven and eight. You've got a very fractionalized industry, less than um, 15% of car wash, current car, express car wash owners actually own more than five locations. And so that, that tells you that they're all fundamentally in the day-to-day operations of their Mm -hmm. job. They have zero leverage, right? So if we can take advantage of our buying power and our size as a private equity group, we can come in and start aggregating this portfolio together. 
very limited competitors in the space. Most of the people that you know we compete against are actually doing a franchise model rather than ground up development or direct ownership model. Um, meaning we own the land, we own the brand, we own everything, including the third-party management company for our okay. car washes. We're not doing franchise. We're not in introducing that added business risk. Um, but long story short, um, it gives us an opportunity to, to continue consolidating the space and grow a portfolio of like 250 to 300 locations and IPO that or do a large roll up to a REIT before big money gets in the space. Okay. Because once the, once there's like a ton of third party management companies and big money can take take out a, a hundred unit car wash portfolio and place it with whatever third party management company they want to, you know, you know, the cat's out of the back. Right, right. So we're in a really we're we're right before the hockey stick growth here. True, because big money, they don't want they don't want to in that inherent risk of trying to manage it and everything like that. They're just looking for an operator that can go in and say, okay, we have the systems, we have the process in place where we can manage a hundred unit, you know, car wash. So yeah, you're right. It's an uh, area and a space ripe for disruption. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So and, our, and our investors are attracted to that, you know, because they can still put their money to, to a, a, a good stable industry they understand, you know, the customer, you know, we have enough data to understand that it's fairly recession resilient. Um, you know, when times are tough, people don't go buy a new car. You know, they can't afford to buy a new car. They're too mm -hmm. scared to, and then maybe they can't access financing. So they actually take better care of their cars. And one of the ways they take better care of their cars is that they wash it. So where's the outside of the third party management I, uh, concept of like, where's the car wash world going right because i remember car washes my uncle used to say here's the bucket and a hose <laughs> you were the car wash were you that was the car wash all right <laughs> but then like here in phoenix i noticed it was like then you had the the drive-through and then at the end of the drive-through everyone would clean it wipe it down spray it clean it, all this stuff vacuum it's a full service then, car wash mm -hmm. full service and then now it's just like I'm at least here in Phoenix, it feels like they died down. Now it's the, the drive through, you vacuum it yourself and you dry it yourself. I mean, it's still kind of like this, this cheaper, I guess. I, I don't know, but like, where is that where it's at? Is that like, I don't even know what, the, what my question is. It's just amazing how <laughs> it feels like you're doing more work for the same price and people are enjoying it though. Well, okay, so let's talk about that. I mean, when people get in, you know, what, what makes people engage with it with businesses is it's customer service and convenience, right? Those are the two main drivers. And so, and I'm going to stick a pin in that for a little bit because, you know, we defined a couple of types of car wash, but let's really define what the express car wash does, right? You've got the DIY, you drive your car into a bay, you drop quarters in the wall, you got your brush and your mm -hmm. hose. Spray your, yep. you would just pray your kid doesn't hose you, hose you down while right. they wash the car, right? <laughs> your car's still dirty after you're done. Yeah, you might be clean. Right. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but the car wash is still, the car is still dirty. Then you've got the single, the in-bay automatics. Those are usually attached to a gas station, right? You drive in mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, those are automatic, but they're not convenient, right? If you're two or three cars back in line, you're, you got other errands to go do. You're not going to wait 15 okay. minutes to wash True. your car. Takes longer. You swing the other direction. What you were describing when you 
pull in, somebody gets out and vacuums your car, puts it through a short tunnel and they wipe down your car, that's a full service car wash. And so usually that's single pay, right? You got to wait in line to pay. You got to wait in line for your car. You got to wait in line, you know, for somebody to dry off your car. If it's yep. not busy, you might be out in 10, 15 minutes. If it is busy, good luck. You're there for a half hour or longer, right? Yep, exactly. There's a collision here, a sweet spot between that full service component and then also, you know, having the, the, the convenience of a DI or the automatic car wash is the express tunnel. And so it's really driven on how, what level of subscription somebody uh, in, you know, chooses to engage in, right? If you drive in, there might be 30 or 40 bays of vacuums, okay? If you're mm -hmm. on the intro subscription or a $25 a month subscription, you're probably vacuuming your car out yourself. But you, yeah. most locations, at least under ours, you can pay $45 a month and somebody will be there to help you clean out your car, right? Oh. Oh, yeah, right. like you get, yeah. you get to choose how you engage, right? And then that car goes through the tunnel. Now that tunnel is pre-washing, washing, undercarriage, waxes, tire shines. It's doing the whole thing and drying your car. Like that all gets done in that tunnel. Now, laser light while you're in the car. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny that you mentioned that. Like, um, if you've never been through one of those, uh, I used to put that, you know, draw out, you know, I have a kid, right? Like I go through one of those car washes. It's, she always wants to go with me because it's entertainment. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But like people who, you know, who, if you've never been through one or if you don't have kids that are totally like, you know, enamored by that sort of thing, it doesn't land. <laughs> but yes, there are laser light shows in some of these tunnels. Um, I mean, uh, uh, some, not, we didn't do this on our locations, but we've heard that and we might do it next year, but do trick or treat in the tunnels because you've got all the laser lights, right? You've got a dark yeah, tunnel yeah, yeah. You know, on and out, oh. right? Um, <laughs> but anyways, so that's the, that's the convenience and you're paying, you know, so even if you're on an intro, you know, subscription, you're, you're in and out in like five minutes, you're not waiting. So you're getting convenience yeah. as well as customer service. And you get to choose on how you engage with that. And that is what people are paying for. That's what the customers are paying for. Yeah. Yeah. It's like fast, it's like fast food, right? Like, you know, high quality fast food, low quality fast food, right? Like mm -hmm. I like it. I'm sold. So how, how much does it cost to invest in one? Like for like, hey, I'm gonna invest in, in you, Whitney, and send you over some money to be a part of your car wash. Is there like introductory levels or different levels? As far as like as an investor, so we have um, minimum investments, and so our typical minimum investment is a hundred thousand dollars. But we're picking these up in portfolios, so that's so generally our portfolios are like five, six, seven a package of deals, five, six, seven deals in one package a portfolio. And so the benefit is you get to see all the assets in the portfolio, so you know the market, you know the deals, you see all the lending, you see all the terms, you see the pro forma, right? All that's visible to you. And you're getting that hundred thousand dollars or more is instantly diversified over those markets and those deals. Um, so it just makes sense to, you know, when you're doing that type of investing, you know, to to write a little bit larger check. Okay. Yep. You, you shared it to uh, expand on like kind of some of the returns. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. So we do. I can talk about anything. We do all, all of our deals are five or six C deals. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah, but um, you know, for us, what we structure our deals um, at a ten percent preferred return. Now, for people who are new, 
um, to the space, 10% preferred return. I hate the fact that it's called a preferred return because it's not a preferred, it's not a return at all. It's essentially a hurdle, right? Um, so year one cash flow is probably going to be about six to seven percent. So there's a difference between that six to seven percent mm -hmm. and ten percent. And the way we do our deals is it accumulates, right? So by year three, we're generally over that ten percent preferred return. But any difference there is accumulating over time. Guys, just reach out to me if you're just like my head just yeah. spun around. I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. Reach out to me because this is what I do. This is what I love. I love just demystifying this for people, but sometimes it's hard in like three minutes to do that. Um, okay. But yeah, 10% preferred return, 60-40 split to 20% IRR, 40-60 split to 30% IRR. And then one of the biggest differences that we do that other uh, operators don't is we leave our investor uncapped, meaning they continue to earn a return past that 30%. So if we're making money, our investors are making money. And so, you know, right now we do a, a 1090 split, but, you know, all of our splits, you know, subject to change deal to deal, but our past six deals have all been the same. Perfect. Awesome. Perfect. Well, I mean, sure. we, yeah, we, we talked about a lot. We talked from single family house hacking all the way to multifamily to car washes, and we barely scraped the surface on uh, self-storage. So, Whitney, if somebody wants to get in contact with you to get some more information on how to diversify their assets and portfolio, where can we reach you? Where can we find you? Absolutely. I like making things simple for people. You can find me at PassiveInvestingWithWhitney.com. And that's a subpage on the PassiveInvesting.com website, but it's the only place you can get my free ebook and access to my calendar. All right. So you all know what to do. Go to the website. We'll make sure we have all of that information in the show notes. Whitney, we really appreciate you being here with us. You gave us a lot of information, some good tips from mindset all the way to um, passively investing. So without any further delay, Mike, do you have anything else you care to share? Oh, thank you for being here, Whitney. Really uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for hosting me. All right. And you all know what to do every Friday. Right, Mike? Every Friday, you can download the Asria show. Huh? What time does this, the episode come out on Friday? 8 a.m. Every yeah. Friday, 8 a.m., you can download the, the new episode of the Asria show hosted by myself, Marcus Maloney, and our executive director, Mike Delpreet. You all know what to do. Get out there and enjoy your day. Thanks for listening to the Asria show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.